Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you, Lord, that um, you want to speak to all of us in some way. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to teach us by your spirit. We, we realize that there are things that we can know with our mind, and then there are things that you reveal by your spirit. So we ask, Lord, for your revelation tonight. We ask as we dig into the, your word that we'd be able to know how it applies immediately to us, and most importantly, how we can take your word to others as well. Give us all divine appointments and help us to be fully equipped to know our assignment in each of those appointments, Lord. And we just give you honor and glory for what takes place tonight through your word. In Yeshua's mighty name, amen. 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 I want to start with a little bit of review, um, incorporating some of uh, what Rabbi David talked about last time. Uh, for most of us, I would say Jonah is a poster child um, for one of the school, one of the stories we learn as kids. You know, uh, God tells Jonah to do something. He said, "Nah." I don't wanna, and God says, no problem, I have a big whale for you. The whale swallows him, and uh, and eventually Jonah gets the fact that uh, maybe Father knows best, and uh, he goes and uh, tells the people, they sort of repent, and then Jonah gets all bothered uh, because he... He wanted to see God nuking those guys, and God didn't. And so it's kind of a, a story people are familiar with. Um, but I felt, uh, we felt led to dive into it because um, we've been sensing that God has been wanting us to orient ourselves outwardly. Um, and yes, we are a mishpacha, which means... We focus on our need to be uh, in unity, to support one another. However, that cannot remain because otherwise uh, we are like a pond that um, into which water flows but from which water doesn't flow outward um, and becomes stagnant. By the way, I, I read somewhere, this is one of the wonderful things about the scholarship that you get from Facebook. <laughs> um, I read somewhere, and, and it, there's truth to it, obviously, that you have two bodies of water in Israel. You have the Sea, uh, the sea of Galilee, and you have the Dead Sea. If for In both of those, uh, the Jordan flows into. But in the case of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan flows out of it, and so it's a living lake, it's a living body of water. Um, the, the Dead Sea, of course, is not, because nothing comes out of it. And so that's such a powerful metaphor, such a powerful picture, that God has not designed us to have things flow into and, and not to overflow and impact other people. So um, Jonah is very much... Uh, both and it's he his story gives us a picture of uh, an individual with God and also individual with other people. So uh, a lot of folks don't know that Nineveh was not Jonah's first rodeo. That uh, Jonah had been ministering uh, prophetically uh, in Israel, which was a rough. A rough time because Israel in those days was godless. Uh, it was ruled by a very powerful, very effective king by the name of Jeroboam II. Um, but he was like his namesake Jeroboam I, who was really not too interested in God. And so Jonah was doing that, and then at some point God gives him a new commission. And says to him, I want you to go to your arch enemies, the Nazi-like types in Nineveh. And uh, Jonah, of course, says, God, forget it. Not interested. Um, and so 
last last Wednesday we saw how how that um, God's attitude was no problem, Jonah. I I can fix that. And and you have the the great storm. Uh, Michael pointed out a moment or so ago that in chapter one you have a lot of greats, gadol, this gadol, that gadol, etc. God causes a great storm to rise up, and uh, Jonah is asleep in in the boat like Yeshua. Huge difference, of course. Yeshua was absolutely, completely in the will of God. Uh, Jonah is anything but. And uh, he tells the people that he is a Hebrew and he's running away from God. And, and what is odd is that the pagan, the pagan uh, sailors, get the fact that, that Jonah... Uh, has put himself and them in danger. Um, and what's interesting is that the, these pagans seem to have some kind of a grasp of God um, that is pretty amazing, which we, by the way, don't have today in, in our society. Uh, one of the statements in chapter 1 that I saw, that I found particularly intri- intriguing is that the sailors say that what it is that that the God of Israel wants, that is what he accomplishes. Which is a statement that we find in Isaiah chapter 46, where the Lord says, um, hey, let me tell you something. What I determine is what I accomplish. Um, So, Jonah says, toss me overboard, and the moment they do... Uh, the the sea is calm and so God begins or in chapter 2 here or at the end of chapter 1 um, we have God sending a big fish so um, what I found is, as I reread this chapter is that uh, Jonah's prayer tells us or gives us some insights uh, about who Jonah was in his relationship with God. That there is a struggle going on uh, between Jonah and God, which in lots of ways is very reflective of the kind of struggle that we have with God from time to time. You know, uh, none of us uh, operate on a purely linear, linear um spiritual life we have our ups and downs and forwards and backwards and um, God is big enough to to work with that amen amen so uh, God um, commissions and the Hebrew word there is very interesting um, it has the sense that that uh, God um, called out a particular fish to be available for this particular assignment with Jonah. In other words, that the fish, the large fish that was there, uh, didn't just happen to be at that particular location. Uh, God appointed that fish and gave him the job. And the job was to swallow Jonah. That, like everything else, as, as you read the chapter, what comes across is the fact that God is sovereign in any and all situations. Um, We only see the storm, we see other circumstances, but as we uh, read and see uh, and go through this chapter, we see that that the Lord is very much in control. Uh, It's almost like a um, literary sandwich where at the beginning in verse 21, God commissioned uh, a large fish, and then at the end of of chapter 2, the Lord commands the fish to heave Jonah. Um, And and what, what I found intriguing is that the fish's response to God is in stark contract to Jonah's response to God. 
No questions. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have the, 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 the big fish going, uh, God, I know you're the creator and everything, but... Um, this yeah, guy takes pretty good. Yeah, yeah, you know, I uh, maybe it was too old. My my my, uh, my GI system is just beginning to like him. And and by the way, um, in English it says the belly. In Hebrew it says literally the intestines. So I know this is getting a little biological here. Um, but yeah, it, it is such a stark contrast. The fish responds immediately. Jonah, on the other hand, God has to arm wrestle with him. Um, so, what's what what I found intriguing is, in some ways, Jonah is like every man, you know. Um, the the um, Uh, the foxhole, the atheist in the foxhole. You know, you know what they say that uh, that there is no such thing as an atheist in the foxhole. Uh, everybody cries out, you know, God help me, etc. Uh, and the other part of this shtick is that people say, God, if you help me, then I will do this, this, and this. You know, making all kinds of vows. Well, you have some of that taking place with Jonah. As, as you see here, uh, he cries out to God. And also at uh, the middle of uh, this chapter, it speaks about the fact that he will fulfill his vows. Let's see what that is verse. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, give me a second here. Verse 9, yeah. Uh, With a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good. And by the way, the Hebrew word for make good is related to the word shalom. So it's not about peace, it's about completion. Um, You know, you don't really know what was going on in Jonah's completely know what's going on in Jonah's uh, heart and mind, but enough to know that part of the interaction with God was that he made some kind of vows. God, if you get me out of this, glug, 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 I will do X, Y, Z. Um, now, question I want to pose to you is, uh, when did Jonah call out to God? One person says, after he was swallowed by the fish. In other words, that Jonah is calling out to God in the belly of the whale, or the, the belly of the fish. Prior. Prior meaning when? Um, once it, when he's going down in the water. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, what we see in chapter 2 is Jonah's conversation with God but the crying out to God, and by the way, the Hebrew word sa'ak or, or shav, shava has the sense of Jonah screaming out to God. Uh, that, folks, is not in the belly of the whale. Now, we don't usually think about it because the notion of being, in, excuse me, I keep, I keep coming back to whale, uh, in, the, in the belly of the fish, uh, doesn't sound like a real uh, awesome kind of a place to be. You know, A, it's probably dark. B, you have all kinds of digestive juices and, and, and the uh, muscles are going this way, that way. Um, and, and how Jonah survived three days and three nights is a mystery. Okay? God must have put some kind of a a protective bubble to keep him from being digested. I'm sorry, this is my biological background. Um, If I'm getting too gross, just let me know. Um, But the short version is that 
Jonah's real crisis came not when he was in the belly of the of the fish. The real crisis came when he was in the belly of the sea. And what's what's intriguing is that um, in verse two, if you look with me, in my distress I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From the depths of the grave I called out for help, and you listened to my cry. The depths of the of the grave literally is the belly of the grave. And you see you see the, the contrast. Uh, the belly of the fish is a safe place. The belly of the sea is definitely not. Um, so I, I want to kind of pick apart verse 2 here um, and, and look at some of the words. Um, the word for distress is tsara. Is that where we get source? That's exactly where we get source, Michael. Uh, and so, if you're not familiar with with this Yiddish word sores, um, the Hebrew word sarah is is singular. In Yiddish, you add, uh, you make it plural, but sarah has the sense of being in a narrow place. So whenever you see the word distressed in English in your Bibles, the, uh, in, in, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, good likelihood that, that the word that's translated there is tzara, which literally means narrow place, but obviously has to do with anything that's, that's difficult to such an extent that the person is, is in a place of distress and, and, and desperate. Um, so... Again, remember that Jonah's distress is, first of all, when he was thrown overboard and not being an awesome swimmer and being in a, in a place um, where, where there is a great, great storm, um, he has real concerns. He screams out to the Lord... Uh, in the belly of the grave. Now, uh, here's another word for you that you may be familiar with. Sheol. Um, by the way, Sheol is not hell. As the King James translates it here. Unfortunately, not a good translation. Sheol just means a place of the dead. Um, in, in the Tanakh... Uh, in the Psalms and so on, the prophets, uh, you don't have this clear notion of a person dying and either going to be with the Lord in a sense of paradise or Abraham's bosom, or else going to to be uh, to be judged in Gehenna. You just basically have a place where you end up going after you after you're dead, uh, or place of storage for the dead, so to speak. Uh, not fun, but definitely not a whole lot said about it. The other word that's associated with Sheol is Shachat. Which has to do with corruption. Which obviously is what takes place biologically when a person dies. Um, so... Part of the picture here is that Jonah is convinced that his life is essentially over. Um, and there is a verse I was looking for. Let me see if I can find it here. And I'm kind of going back and forth to try and give you a, uh, a feel for what's going through Jonah's mind. Look at verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord. So, 
what what is hard to first to understand here uh, is that in Jonah's mind and consciousness, he is a, a hair away from death. Uh, I know this gets kind of grim, but basically Jonah is feeling like people are feeling when they know they're about to depart this earth. Uh, the, the Hebrew word there can either refer to uh, the onset of the death process or uh, a person just being aware of the fact that, that their life is over. So, in Jonah's mind, there was, there was no doubt whatsoever that his life was over. And, and we really don't understand that. We have the cutesy pie notion, you know, they pitch him to the sea, he does a little bit of um, treading water, dog, dog paddle and so on. Boom, God sends, sends the big fish and, swallow, and swallows him and protects him. And, and so the answer to that is yes and no. God sends, God appoints the, uh, the fish, but not before Jonah has learned some basic lessons. And especially for someone who was a prophet, uh, the lesson had to be a hard lesson. Because remember what Scripture says, and I'm kind of skipping to, to, book, to the book of James, that we who have been called to proclaim the Word of God, to teach the Word of God, face a, a stricter judgment because of the responsibility that's been given to us. So God could have ordered uh, the fish to come the moment Jonah is overboard, and that's not happening. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I was just the contrast between chapter one, the arrogance, if you will, and chapter two, the absolute education through or humility through education, where you know it's throw me over. I mean, there's no well, I'm going to die. Throw me over. Well, throw the, me over. He knew the power of God because he knew what he trespassed against God. And then, but when he's when they throw me throw me over into the water, there's no there's not it doesn't seem that there's this this fear. He's like I'm going to die. Oh well, I'm going to die. And then when you come face to face with that death, or or that imminent death as you described, yeah. now there's a cry, and there you're 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 there. You're broke, as opposed to the theory of being dead, right. as opposed to now I'm living it. Yeah. You, I don't know if you're, if you're tracking with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Uh, Jonah, Jonah is experiencing God's discipline, God's judgment uh, in all, on all kinds of levels. Mm -hmm. Mary, you, you had something to say. Well, yes, and the idea was that since he was a prophet and he had followed the voice of the Lord and the direction of the Lord all the years before, he knew what was in store for him unless he did, per se, repent. Would you say repentance came with him? That reality of the storm and going into the ocean. You know, he went to, what he, what he was teaching others to repent to God, he was living it himself. Yes and no. Okay. You're right in that in that he was living it. However, part of reality, folks, is that for all of us, God has to give advanced lessons. Mm. You know, we, 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 we learn baby lessons, and then God says, okay, um, I, I, I really need for you to have graduate level instruction here. Um, and that's clearly what, what the case. Jonah had never been through an experience where, where he felt God's judgment to such an extent. You know, and, and I hope I'm not belaboring the point, but the truth is, uh, Jonah is, is experiencing the severity of that on all kinds of levels. Uh, when, when someone talks about Shaol, uh, they, in their mind, they're, they're gone. Mm -hmm. 
And and it's not just the emotional, it's also the spiritual. Part of part of what we see here um, is is the fact that Jonah has is really struggling with God. Now think about it. Uh, what we saw earlier is that Jonah cries out to God as he is about to lose consciousness. And you want to say, why, Jonah, didn't you cry out the moment you stepped off the boat? Uh, which, when you, when you think of it, is so much like, like the way we are. Mm-hmm. You know, when do we cry out to God with a great deal of, of, of passion and desperation? Well, when we're desperate. Uh, the other piece of that that I found fascinating um, is in verse 4. And then we'll come to, to verse 3. Uh, well, let's start with verse 3. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. It's not like you just tossed me out in the water. You sunk me. Yeah. took you down. Yeah, when you think about the world, the the word for hurl, it's 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 you guys are talking about uh, baseball, foot, uh, basketball. Yeah, you know, ninety miles an hour. Um, the other uh, going on to verse four, he says, "I have been, I said, I have been banished from your sight." So we're talking about the physical, the emotional, and here's the spiritual. Um, God, you you took me and 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 you're done with me. You you're casting me off, and well, that that's a heavy statement, isn't it? Um, what I did was worthy of you taking and casting me off. Um, and the truth is, to one to one degree or another, that's not a bad feeling as long as we don't stay there, because we recognize that we were so stupid in 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 our sin that God would be justified in nuking us. Um, and and Jonah, as he is going through all this stuff, is saying, God. Uh, I felt like you were going to toss me from your presence, which, when you come right down to it, it well, it does. But when you come right down to it, that's really the worst punishment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he hasn't given up faith. The next sentence uh, says he will again look at the holy temple. Correct. Right, so right. he hasn't lost all faith. Correct, and that's and that's the mixture, you know. Uh, we don't have pure faith that goes straight on. We have a mixture of God. Uh, are you done with me? Well, maybe not. Maybe I I will yet be able to to see your holy temple. Um, so part of part of what we get when we see this obviously is that uh, Jonah is a man of God. You see that from, from the kind of prayer that he has, that he has a relationship with God. We see that he's struggling with God. Um, he obviously is someone who uh, participated in temple worship because he talks about bringing sacrifices and fulfilling vows. And remember, if you, uh, if you were to study, um, if you're familiar with Leviticus and the chapters that talk about the, the various sacrifices, I know Leviticus is everybody's favorite, uh, favorite book. Um, one of the sacrifices is called the, the so-called peace offering or fellowship offering. Uh, I think we mentioned that a few weeks ago. When we, yes, when we did, you show the time. Okay. 
um, there were three basic categories for the peace or fellowship offering. Michael, I'm sure you remember. I remember Nadav. Okay. And I think uh, Toda. What about Chatat? Is that one? Uh, no, Chatat was a sin offering. Sin offering, sin or purification offering. Uh, Nadav, Toda, and I don't remember the third one, unless it was the Shlamim that had to do. No, Shlamim is the, is the name of the Thanksgiving. Is is the general. Um, Oh my, this is terrible. The rabbi forgets. <laughs> It'll come to me just when I'm uh, not thinking. But there were three basic uh, categories. Nadav is the free will offering. Uh, Todah is just a thanks offering. And there was another category that I just am blanking. So, so the point is... Um, these were all voluntary. This, the peace offering or peace or fellowship offering, uh, was voluntary. It wasn't something that God said, "You will do such and such," as was the case with the chatat, which is a, a, a sin offering, and the asham, which was the guilt offering. Uh, this is something that you did. So, for example, with the todah. Uh, you're a farmer, you had a, a wonderful crop, you, you bring a thank offering to God. With the Nadav, you, uh, this was a vow. Oh, Neder, that's why I was confused here. All right, Neder is a vow, and Nadav is a free will offering, just wanting to bring an offering to God. Um... So, this is the category that Jonah would have brought. And you know, if he says, I will bring you, uh, I will fulfill my, uh, my vows, you know that this is not something he's saying theoretically, as if he never did it. Something he's been doing. It's something that, that he did before. He was familiar. In fact, a couple of times there he refers to the, um, to the Holy Temple, which means that that he had come to the temple and he had participated in temple worship. Um, so when you think of someone being a prophet, you know, you usually think of John the Immersive, John the Baptist, who's kind of out there, or Elijah doing their thing. But Jonah obviously is very much part of the community, part of the worshiping community. And so this is part of... Uh, the situation for Jonah, he he is a worshiper, he's a prophet. I'm saying that it's almost like people say, people are about to die or in a situation, your whole life passes in front of you. Right. And in this case, all his all that he had worked for the Lord over all the years, and he knew the Lord's commitment to you know to help him, that all this became reality to him in his own life. Yeah, and that's well put, Mary. Um, you know, all of us have mile markers. You know, we make a commitment to the Lord to follow Him, and and we take those baby steps, and and we learn to walk with God, and then something happens, and and our relationship with God goes sky high because we experience something that is so dramatic that we know. Either God comes through and helps us, or else we're gone. And when that happens, I mean, none of us looks for those experiences, uh, unless we t happen to be masochistic, you know. Um, but when they do happen, um, our relationship with, with God goes into a, a completely higher level. And then, can, and then with that, it lifts us up as we come through it, and we become even more committed to him. Right. And that's what Jonah, in those few minutes, you know, it's like, I can just... And, and we, we don't know for sure how long Jonah ministered as a prophet, probably at least a couple of decades, 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. like so we're quiet. not talking about someone, someone who is a neophyte. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so he he is has a relationship with God. He participated in community worship, and he was also a man of the word. Why do I say that? Because as you go through this, there's so many allusions, either outright references, or else allusions. You know, like like kind of in, in passing to different places in Scripture, particularly to the Book of Psalms. So, for example, let's turn to Psalm 16. And it's Rabbi Good. I say, I believe that that's in. Out of the depths I cry. Right? Yeah, that happens to be in the Catholic Bible. In the James Catholic Bible. Well, it, it, it. It's in the uh, Catholic King James Bible because it is the scripture. Right. But it brings you into the reality of, as, we, as I said before, what he was going through. And right. he knew the word. And, he, and of course he knew the dependence of David, who was the example, who was faithful to God. Yes, but th- think of it this way. If, if you're not a, 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 a person of the word then when things happen, how do you think about stuff? Mm-hmm. What do you rely on when you go back to rebuild yourself? Well, it's that, but also uh, if you don't have scripture in your mind, mm-hmm. then when you go through a crisis, then you get all kinds of goofy thoughts. Mm-hmm. But when you have the Word of God in, in your mind and your heart, when things come, then... Uh, the Word of God comes flooding into you and and that's what conditions your thinking. So Psalm 16.10 uh, John, you look... Because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So this is a very... Uh, uh, you're probably looking at about 300 years between the time that Psalm 16 was written and, and, and Jonah and his experience. Obviously, uh, uh, you know, here you have someone who, who is familiar with the Word of God. Uh, same, the same phrase, Sheol, and, and also I mentioned Shachat, which is corruption. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's part of the picture of what what is coming through um, through Jonah's mind. Um, also, the, the very beginning of this chapter, in my distress, I call to the Lord. Again, that's something we see. Um, in in a Psalm one eighteen five. Let's turn to that. How about one of the Trinidadians? Yes. All right. Out of a tight place, I called on Adonai. Adonai answered me with a spacious place. Hmm. Interesting. Out of tight spaces. Okay. Uh, as we saw before, the 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 word in Hebrew is. Sarah. I'm sorry. which is often translated distress, and and you have both the physical sense and the emotional sense. Um, Out of my distress circumstantially, but also I'm emotionally distressed. Uh, I call to the Lord, and what's the result? He answered me. He answered me and? And took me out of my... He brought me into a large place. He brought me into a large place. What kind of a large place? Heavenly the whale. Hmm? The whale. <laughs> okay. 
into a large place where he is. Yeah, uh, the Lord brought me by bringing me into a large place where he is. And it's so... It's interesting, this uh, interpretation from the uh, uh, Jerusalem Bible, it says, from my being hemmed in, I called on Yah, he answered and gave me more room. Yeah. So hemmed in, right. like in a mummy case or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, between a rock and a hard place. You know, I think we all... Uh, we all understand what it's like to be between a rock and a hard place. Right? Okay. Um, so, th this is just one of the uh, places uh, that this verse, uh, that chapter 2 uh, refers to. Um, another one, of course, is uh, the cords of death wrapped around me. Um, and that, of course, is something that we see in Psalm 18. Uh, the psalm, the cords of death, it's very, very visual, you know. I mean, I mean, it, it gets kind of grim, doesn't it? And uh, so I would like to encourage you to, to read, uh, to reread Psalm, uh, to reread chapter 2 and see what kind of connections you find with different words that appear in Psalm, in, in chapter 2 with other places in, in Scripture, especially in the book of Psalms. Uh, yes, ma'am? I'm, I'm thinking, though, between the time that, you know, the storm is happening, and they're saying, what, what do we do? They cast lots and everything to see who might be the culprit of causing... They knew that God was the control. You know, they had knowledge of God controlling the waves and the storm. That all that, when that was happening, you know, he supposedly sleeping, but then when they confronted him, all this must have come into his mind before he went into the water. Do you know what he was? Yeah. You think that, that he was thinking, oh my goodness, I did trespass the Lord, and now, da 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 da, I have to admit it. So he had to come to an admission to. Yeah, except, except that, uh, who was mentioned, John, I think mentioned that in chapter 1, we don't see uh, we, we don't see a real strong conviction. Okay. I mean, he's saying what he's saying, uh, but at least you don't get the sense that he has a strong sense of conviction and he wants to repent. Okay. Um, and, and the truth is, we're trying to um, psychoanalyze Jonah in chapter 1, in chapter 2, it's very obvious, because what he's saying is so strongly emotional that there's no doubt about it. Um, so I, I wanted to uh, uh, branch off a little bit and, and talk about, here's another fun topic, distress. In Jonah's case, it's real obvious. Uh, God told him to do something, he said no. And discipline had to come. Um, and remember scripturally that discipline is something that God imposes in order to teach us and restore us. Good discipline is always going to be instructed. Yes. Um, so it's important to point that out because we often have the lie about who God is that when we when we sin that God wants to do nothing but punish us and unfortunately that's the way we relate to, to individuals who are in sin we sometimes have the attitude that says shoe fly get out of here that's certainly not God's perspective so in Jonah's case it was very obvious God said do this he says no God said, okay, um, I have ways. Um, however, there are lots of times scripturally that you can't draw a direct line um, from our wrong action or sin to circumstances that we find ourselves in. 
You know, and, and I, I've been around enough to know that there are times when people spend all kinds of time trying to figure out why is this happening to me? Uh, did I do this, this, and this? Um, is that is that why I'm experiencing? Is this God's judgment? The Job friends mentality. Well, the Job friend mentality after. It, again, remember that uh, Job's friend were were wonderful, and and showed a great deal of empathy uh, in the beginning. They listened to Job. They didn't say a whole lot. They cried with him. Um, but afterwards, of course, they were convinced that they knew better and they were going to fix Job. Um, so yes, there are times when, when we realize that. Um, however, we spend so much time um, in self-analysis, you know, trying to figure things out Foolishly, because it's really not our job. Whose job is it to point out junk in our life? It's the job of the Spirit who convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And us devoting time to trying to microanalyze ourselves uh, is trying to, to put ourselves in God's position because He's the righteous judge. He knows us inside out and out. And all we need to do is to say, God, here I am. You know, if there's stuff in me that's not on target, shine the flashlight and show me I want, I want to change. Rather than our doing the self-analysis and self-introspection and self-reformation and all that garbage. Yeah, Mary. Well, I'm thinking, and you mentioned before about, uh, you know, in our lives and the people around us and the neighborhood. That God is not important anymore. Do you know what I mean? And it's the idea that when there's no realization that there is a supreme being and seeking to know him, you know, of him, and to say the reality is it's not all me, that there is something above me, to know the character of God, that's what I want to bring out. To know that you go to him and say, well, I've done this, I've done that, and and whatnot, but I, I can still come to you because you know me. Right. And, and you can lift me up out of this, and then, I, then and it, revert, it changes everything because then you, your life can go back to to seeing who he is because just like a parent will forgive a child, right. you get to see the, the, you know, the love. And, and the short version is as quickly as possible, you don't focus on yourself, right. either the good parts or the bad parts. Um, so, distress comes either because of our sin and, and our need to receive uh, discipline, or distress comes because God puts us into situations that stretch us and test us. Uh, and what's interesting is that um, the, the word for testing... The word for testing and, and, and temptation is the same word in Greek. Um, so in James, for example, it speaks about uh, counted all joy. I, I love and I hate that verse. <laughs> you know, uh, you yes know no. No. Yes and no. You, you know, you argue with God and say, Lord, I'm willing to count 90% joy. Um, I don't know about 100 um, of of trials and and the word there parismos parismos excuse me means both temptation and and testing why because it can be used either by the evil one to kind of dangle like like uh, the wife of Job curse God and die or else it it we can view it and ultimately it's always something that God is at work. Uh, it is a test to see where is our heart. Now, again, remember, God really doesn't need additional information about who we are. He knows us. So when Scripture says that uh, God tested them, it's really more for our purposes, for stuff to be exposed. 
So distress uh, is something that can, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Distress is something that we should always view as being under God's umbrella in one form or another. Whether it was due to our sin, in which case we need to be corrected and, and cleaned and healed, or in which case God puts us before us to, to stretch us. And remember, if, if you are someone who, who has athletic leanings, you know that your muscles can't be built unless they are stretched and, and worked hard. <coughs> and that's, that's the way it is with our faith muscle. God puts us into a situation where our faith is stretched, and we can either accept it because we know who God is, we know He loves us, we know He has good purposes for us, and that regardless of the situation we're in, we simply say, Lord, you have something good that needs to come out of this. And no, it's not particularly fun, and no, I'm not enjoying it and, and wishing for more of it, but you're doing something positive that on the other side, I'm going to, I'm going to understand more fully. And what's, what I found ironic here is that uh, the depths of the sea and the depths of the fish, same word, belly, belly of the sea and belly of, of, uh, of, the, of the fish. And what we don't understand is that the belly of the fish for Jonah was a safe haven. Mm, wow. uh, God plucked him out of, of, the, of the sea where he was about to die and put him inside this, this fish uh, as a means of protecting him. Now, w was he uh, sitting pretty? Obviously not. Uh, he was not on... on he was not on, on dry ground, and, and it was still difficult. However, where does Jonah really have this wonderful time of prayer and, and devotional um, devotional time with God? It is in the belly of the fish. So it's, uh, not, so much, it's not so much the why and the where, but it's the response. It is the response, you bet. And the belly of the fish is when Jonah begins to get what it is God is really after. And it is the belly of the fish where Jonah is making a determination that he's going to do what it is that God wants him to do. He will complete his vows. Shalom. Complete his vows. And that's where he determines that he will do that at the belly of the fish. And so... Um, God, uh, Jonah already knew the grace of God and God's redemptive touch while he was in the belly of the fish because he knew God saved him from certain death. Would you say, that, I mean, a lot of times people say, you have a second chance, and that seems so simple to say, but that it's the idea we see that we can go to God, that he's open to us, and that no matter what we've done, he will, you know, he will have, he has the compassion, he has the grace, he's going to give us, keep restoring us to, back to him. And I would say more than second chance, I would say yeah, exactly. second, third, fourth, fifth, right. God knows how many, how many additional chances. But th that's knowing the character of God. It, it, it's exactly, remember, remember that, um, when when Moses says to God, show me your glory, mm. God says, no, I'll show you my goodness. And he tucks him behind the rock, zips in front of him, and he doesn't say, I'm a holy God, you mess with me, you die. Mm. He says to him, I'm compassionate, full of mercy and grace, and so on and so forth. That's what God presents. And so, oddly enough, in the belly of the fish is where Jonah comes to terms with that. Uh, but that was preceded by, by this great distress and desperation 
Um, and unfortunately, sometimes that's the way God has to get a hold of us. Um, we're not responsive for whatever reason, and then God uses means to persuade us. But I wanted to leave you with this one thought, that rather than take the standard approach that people often do, um, to view difficulties as God's um, anger towards us, God's uh, dislike of us, then instead of viewing that, we take two basic pers perspectives that are different when it comes to trials. One is the sovereignty of God, And remember what the sovereignty of God means? He's in charge of God. That? He's always working. He's working. So it refers to his power. It also refers to his plans. God has plans, and he is consistently at work to bring those plans. So the trials remind us of the sovereignty of God. They also remind us of the love of God. That God is committed to us. That none of these trials are wasted. Um, that instead of viewing them as uh, absolutely worthless, waste of time, then we say, no, God, because you're sovereign, because you have plans, because you are at work, you love me. because you love me, then this particular set of crises are something that you can and you will use to, to further who I am in relationship with you. And so when, when we take that perspective, we may not fully understand what's going on, but we understand the, the, basic, uh, the basic principles, and that is who God is and who we are in relation to Him. And sometimes when we go through things, we don't understand, but even then we can say, Lord, give me perspective, give me discernment, so that even in the midst of this, I can be co-participant. In other words, I can, even in the midst of this stuff, I can be engaged in doing your will and working along with you rather than at cross-purposes to you, bucking you, you know, kicking against the goads. And so, totally different perspective on, on trials and difficulties. Um... But if we understand who God is, who we are, then those can be times of tremendous growth. And, and I dare say that more often than not, those are the times we really experience the greatest amount of spiritual growth in our life. So, next week, chapter 3, and and um, I'd like to ask you to read ahead and one of our fellow teachers will be blessing us next week. Uh, John, did you finish for us? <laughs> Father God, it seems strange to uh, in human form to, to say thanks for trials and for difficulty, Lord. But that's what I want to say. I want to say thank you for those trials and those difficulties because through them, as Rabbi has said, uh, we, gray, we gain a greater understanding and a greater discernment of your love for us. We gain, a, we gain a greater understanding of your plans and your purposes. So Lord, I just ask that uh, you, you continue uh, to reveal yourself to us, uh, that we would, in the midst of our trials and in the, in the midst of our our struggles, Lord, that uh, 
we don't try to figure out so much why. We choose to respond by turning to you and saying, what is your purpose here? How do I, how do I quit kicking? How do I come alongside of that? So, Lord, it's in, uh, it's in Yeshua's name that we come to you tonight, Father. And uh, I just pray uh, that you uh, grant us your soul, your shalom, and grant us uh, that wisdom to seek you. Amen.